Well, we are starting a new series today. It's called Kingdom Coming. And this series goes along with the theme for this year at Plum Creek, which is the Kingdom of God. And we've been focusing on this theme all year, but today we're, we're starting to look to the future, to the future kingdom. We're talking about the return of Jesus and the end times. And along those lines, I want to tell you about a dream that I had a long time ago. I was just a boy, and I had a dream about the second coming of Jesus. It was vivid. It felt real, and it was pretty scary. And I don't mean to leave you hanging, but uh, before I tell you about this dream, we need to go back and see where we are in the story of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the resurrection, and you know, this is what we do on Easter, we, we celebrate the fact that Jesus really and truly rose from the dead. He defeated death, and that's where our hope comes from. But what's the next chapter of this story? What, what happened right after that empty tomb? Well, there's a good summary of this over in the book of Acts. Uh, some of you know that Acts is kind of a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, both of these books were written by the same guy, Luke. And here's what Luke says in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He said, After his suffering, that's Jesus, he presented himself to them, that's the disciples, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So this is what Jesus has been up to ever since the resurrection. Uh, over a period of 40 days, he appeared to literally hundreds of people, and he proved without a doubt that he was alive. But he did something else during those 40 days. Did you see that? He also spoke about the kingdom of God, and that's no surprise because the kingdom of God was the big theme for Jesus' teaching ever since the beginning of his ministry. And he still has a few more things to say. But the disciples, they have questions. And that's nothing new either. All along the way, they've been slow to understand what Jesus taught. And I don't want to pick on the disciples because I, I would have been slow too, I'm sure. But the disciples come to Jesus with a question in Acts 1, verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they, they still thought that Jesus might overthrow the Romans and set up an earthly kingdom. But Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, and then in all Judea and Samaria, and way out to the ends of the earth. So Jesus doesn't tell the disciples what they want to know. He tells them what they need to know. And basically, he says, yes, this kingdom is coming, but don't worry about the timing, because I'm about to leave this planet, and I'm handing you off to the Holy Spirit, and when He comes, you will know it. So get ready, because you guys have a lot of work to do. Now, this wasn't brand new information. Jesus had given them a heads up uh, several days before this. On the night before He died, Jesus told them that He would be leaving to go back to the Father, and the Holy Spirit would come. 
And the Holy Spirit would comfort them and teach them and guide them and enable them to do the work that God had called them to do. And sure enough, 10 days after Jesus spoke these words in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit showed up in a dramatic way. And the disciples were never the same after that. The Spirit empowered them to take the gospel message literally to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here today. But again, that's still 10 days away. On this day in Acts 1.8, the disciples are about to see something that will blow their minds. Verse 9, after Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus just floats away and the disciples are standing there with their mouths open. And can you blame them? I mean, sure, they had just seen the greatest miracle in all of history. Jesus came back from the dead. But that doesn't mean they expected him to float up into heaven before their very eyes. So they're dumbfounded. The disciples have no idea what to do next. But then these two angels show up, and they're like, how long are you guys going to stand there looking into the sky? Jesus is coming back. And between now and then, you got work to do. So get a move on. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So let's start uh, with a, a statement. A statement that kind of summarizes what the angels said. Jesus is coming back, and he left us with some important work to do. And that statement applies not just to the disciples on that day, it applies to us as well. So let's look at this statement. We'll start with that first part there. Jesus is coming back. And now I can finally tell you about my dream. Uh, when I was growing up as a kid, I heard a lot about the second coming. I heard sermons about it. I saw movies about it. I even read about it in these little comic books. Man, these were some crazy comic books. But uh, anyway, back to my dream. I wanted to give you kind of a picture of what I saw, so I made a PowerPoint version of my dream, and, and here it is. As the dream began, I was standing outside, and the sky looked very strange. There were dark clouds, and, and the sky had kind of a golden tint. But then all of a sudden, the face of Jesus appeared in the clouds, and, and this was a very particular image of Jesus. It was a, a painting that was pretty common years ago. Churches had this painting uh, up on the wall a lot of time, a framed picture. So it's, it's familiar to a lot of you. But that's exactly what I saw in the sky. And at this point, I, I, I was pretty freaked out. But it got worse because I looked down at my feet. And my feet started rising up into the air. I mean, it was the rapture. I was floating away just like Jesus ascended into heaven. And right then, I, I woke up. 
The dream was over, but I was terrified. I, I still remember it very well. But what do you think about this? Do you think the reality of the second coming will be anything like this? Do you think that day will look like this? Do you think that day will be scary? Well, check out what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. He said, Then will appear the, son of, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So this is interesting, isn't it? Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, and he confirms that he will appear in the clouds. Uh, but what about the part that says all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming? That seems a little strange, doesn't it? What's that about? Well, this is one of those times when we need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's another passage where the Apostle Paul talks about this same event, but from a different perspective. And before we read this, it's important to know that Paul is talking to specifically Christians. And listen to what he says, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, did you notice? This description also matches up pretty well with my dream. On the day that Jesus returns... All of the followers of Christ who are alive at that time will rise up and meet the Lord in the air. So my dream is surprisingly accurate until we get to verse 18. Paul says, encourage one another with these words. He doesn't say terrify one another with these words. Paul says, guys, this is something to be excited about. This, this will be a great day. When Jesus returns, it'll be the greatest day ever. And this was my problem. When I woke up from that dream, I wasn't excited about the second coming. I was scared to death. Now, I had given my life to Jesus at this point. I knew that my sins were forgiven. I knew that I was headed for heaven. But somehow, I was still freaked out. And according to Paul, it should not be that way. But I still can't forget what Jesus said back in Matthew 24, 30. He said, all the peoples on the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. So how do we square these two passages? Well, it is true that people all over the world will mourn at the second coming of Jesus, but they're mourning because they're about to face judgment and they are not ready. However, if you are a follower of Jesus... You are ready because your sins are forgiven. Your debt has been paid by the blood of Jesus. So God will look at you and judge you to be righteous. And for all genuine followers of Jesus, we can encourage one another with these words. And that's what we want to do in this series. 
We want to look at what Jesus said about his return and about this coming kingdom. And we'll do this as a way to encourage each other. We, we will follow Paul's instructions. And this is a, a three-week series. And I want to give you three action steps we need to take as we go through this series. First, we need to be ready for the coming kingdom. And we're going to focus on this next week. We're going to look at a parable that Jesus told, and this parable is all about being ready. Here's the second action step. We want to be excited for this coming kingdom. As long as you're ready, this is something to look forward to. You don't dread it. You don't want to delay it. Uh, Revelation 22.20 is the, the second to last verse in the entire Bible. And that verse says, He who testifies to these things says, I am coming soon. That's Jesus talking. He's coming back and he's coming soon. It's something to be excited about. Now, the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. And after that promise from Jesus, John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. For followers of Christ, we long for the return of Jesus. It's something that we pray for. And on certain days, when we look around and, and see the mess in this world, that sounds really good. We're, we're like, Lord, you can come anytime. Today would be a good day. But those are the first two steps. Be ready and be excited. Step number three is serve Jesus until the kingdom comes. God doesn't want us to kill time looking at the sky. He's given us work to do. God wants to use us to advance his kingdom. He's got a significant role for all of us, and we'll focus on that step in the third week of our series. Today, though, we need to make sure we understand this coming kingdom. What are we talking about? Well, as I said earlier, the kingdom of God was the big theme in Jesus' teaching, and it's also our big theme here at Plum Creek in 2022 all throughout this year, we're praying these three words from the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. We're, we're praying for God's kingdom to show up here in this world. But now, if you ask a bunch of different Christians to define the kingdom of God, you're going to get a bunch of different answers. So we're using a basic definition here that comes from all over Scripture, the, the overall message of the Bible. The kingdom of God is any place where God's rule and his reign have truly begun. That's a good definition, but we need some clarification. We need to clarify the where and the when. So first, where exactly is this kingdom? Is it in heaven? Well, sure, absolutely. <laughs> heaven is part of God's kingdom because he rules and reigns there completely. But what about here? Is God's kingdom here on earth right now? No, well, yes and no. And in some ways, no, because lots of people don't acknowledge God as king. They're not allowing him to rule and reign in their hearts. But then 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up and he established God's kingdom here on earth. The, the kingdom came near because the king came near. And everywhere people went, everywhere Jesus went, people, people saw what it looks like when God reigns. Diseases are healed. Sins are forgiven. And the dead come back to life 
both physically and spiritually. But as we read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus left this world. So is the kingdom still here? Well, yes. God's kingdom shows up in every follower of Jesus. We allow him to rule and reign in our hearts and in our lives. So that's the where of the kingdom, but we also need to talk about the when. I said that God's kingdom showed up when Jesus came, so why do we talk about a kingdom that is still to come? Well, this can be confusing because the kingdom of God is both already and not yet. And I have a quick way to explain this. I'm taking the perspectives class right now, and they shared a chart that is really helpful. Uh, Anybody here into charts? I may be weird, but I love a good chart. And anyway, this is a visual representation of what we see in Scripture. We we start with a line that represents this present age. And from where we are in 2022, we can look back 2,000 years and see the first coming of Christ. Now, what do we usually call that? We call it Christmas, right? Some people call it the Advent season. And Advent is a word that simply means coming. But there's also going to be a second advent. That's when Jesus returns. And when he does, this present age will come to an end, and the age to come will begin. But now, we also have a dotted line. What's that about? Well, the dotted line shows that somehow the kingdom in the age to come has already broken into this present age. And what do we mean by that? Well, like I said, when Jesus came, he established God's kingdom here. He also defeated the powers of sin and Satan and death. He overcame our sin when he died on the cross. He overcame death when he rose from the dead. But now, if Jesus has already won this victory, why is the world still such a mess? Well, it is true that Jesus has defeated the forces of evil, but he hasn't yet destroyed the forces of evil. That that is still to come. So right now, we we live in that box in the middle of this chart. Uh, After Jesus returns, all of God's enemies will be destroyed once and for all, but the kingdom hasn't yet appeared in its fullest form. In the meantime, though, while we live in this box, God wants to use his people the church, to continue the work that Jesus began when he was here. So we've established the fact that Jesus will return. But when do you think that might be? Does the Bible give us a basic idea of the timing of the second coming? Actually, yes. The Bible has a lot to say about this. We already read one example, Revelation twenty-two twenty. That's where Jesus said, yes, I am coming soon. And there's your answer. That's when it's going to happen. He's coming soon. But then what does he mean by that word? Because uh, the book of Revelation was written over 1,900 years ago. So was Jesus wrong there? Well, again, let's interpret Scripture with Scripture. And if you go over to 2 Peter chapter 3, the apostle Peter says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, I'm not very good at math, but based on my calculations, 
from God's perspective, the book of Revelation was written almost two days ago. So that definitely still qualifies as soon. Now, at this point, I haven't helped you very much. Uh, We still don't know much about the timing of the second coming. So what else does the Bible have to say about this? I'll give you another verse, uh, Matthew 24, 36. In that verse, Jesus says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, I'm just being mean at this point, because according to this, this verse, we don't know when Jesus is coming again. The angels don't know. Even Jesus doesn't know. At least he didn't know when he said this. So what is the deal? Does does God just leave us in the dark about when Jesus might return? Actually, no. God has given us some helpful information, not only about the event itself, but also about the timing. And in the few minutes that we have left, I want to take you to a place where you can find some of that helpful information. Unfortunately, this place is one of the most confusing and controversial chapters in the whole Bible. It's Matthew 24, and uh, in this chapter, the crucifixion is just a few days away. Jesus is about to go to the cross, but first, he tells his disciples about certain events that will happen in the future. Now, Jesus is a prophet, and he's the Son of God, so he's pretty good at predicting the future. He knows what he's talking about, but here's the challenge of Matthew 24. In this chapter, Jesus predicts several events, and some of them are short-term, and some of them are long-term. And it's hard to tell what he's talking about at any given time. In, in some sections, Jesus is talking about a catastrophe that will happen less than 40 years after he ascends into heaven. In A.D. 70, the Romans attack Jerusalem, and they destroy the temple. And this is a devastating and horrific event on many levels. So Jesus talks about that in Matthew 24, but in other sections, it seems pretty clear that he's talking about the second coming. So we have one event that already happened way back in the first century, but we have a second event that still hasn't happened yet as of 2022. So do you think we can figure this out? Well, we don't have much time, but let's give it a try. At the beginning of Matthew 24, uh, Jesus and his disciples are are leaving the temple in Jerusalem. It's been a busy day. And and in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings, beautiful, amazing buildings. And Jesus asked, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Okay, let's play armchair Bible scholar for a second. What do you think Jesus is talking about here? Is he talking about the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, or is he talking about the end of time? I think most of us would say this is about the destruction of the temple, and that's exactly how the disciples understood that statement. Just a few minutes after Jesus makes this prediction, he hikes up a hill called the Mount of Olives. And as Jesus was sitting on this hill, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
So the disciples are asking about three things here, aren't they? Number one, when will the temple be destroyed? Number two, when are you coming again, Jesus? What will be the signs? What should we look for? And number three, what will be the sign that this age is almost over? Now, in the minds of these disciples, all three of these things would happen simultaneously. Because when the temple is destroyed, that's probably going to be the end of the world. That's how they thought of it. How does Jesus answer these questions, though? Well, I'd love to read you the whole chapter, but I know you don't want to miss lunch. So I encourage you to to follow the reading plan that's in your bulletin and read the, the rest of Matthew 24 on your own. Uh, Jesus does answer all three questions, and you can try to figure out which section matches which event. I'm warning you, it's tricky. There are lots of Bible scholars that I really respect that have very different opinions on this issue, so you might as well add your own opinion to the mix. But for now, I'll give you a a very quick summary of verses 4 through 13, and then we'll look a little closer at verse 14. So here's the summary. Jesus says to his disciples, here are a few signs that you should look for. First, watch out for false Christs or false messiahs. Uh, These are people who claim to offer salvation, but they're just frauds. And of course, there have been lots of false messiahs throughout history. Then Jesus also tells the disciples to look for wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution, teachers who distort the truth. Now, look at that list. Over the past 2,000 years, has there been any period of history where these things are not happening? No, these things are happening somewhere all the time. But then Jesus goes on. Right after he talks about all of those signs, he says something interesting. Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Hmm. What does that sound like to you? The word gospel means good news. It's the good news about Jesus, the good news of the kingdom. And Jesus says the end will come after the gospel has been preached to all nations, all peoples. So it sounds like every people group, every nationality will hear about Jesus before the end of time. But again, People have different opinions about this. So is it possible that this prophecy was fulfilled back in the first century? Well, some scholars actually say that it was fulfilled. And I won't get into all the detailed reasons for that. They uh, have different understandings of the original Greek words. So let's, let's keep it simple here. Whenever there's a passage of Scripture that we're not sure about, what do we do? We interpret Scripture with Scripture. So, do we get this idea anywhere else? Is there any other place in the Bible that says the second coming will take place after the whole world gets to hear about Jesus? Well, let's take a look. In Matthew 28, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and he he tells his disciples something important. He gives them a command. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always 
to the very end of this present age. So it's the Great Commission. It's the task that Jesus gave all of his followers, all of his disciples, not only on that day, but all the way up to the present day. Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. This is God's will. This is what God wants. He he wants to see disciples from every people group in the world. He wants heaven to be filled with a beautiful mosaic of humanity. Now, it makes sense to me that since God is God, His will is going to happen. And, you know, when we look at the book of Revelation, that the picture of the end times that we, we see in Revelation, we see that the Great Commission actually becomes a reality. Look at what John says in Revelation chapter 7. He, he says, after this, I looked, this is the end of time, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These are the people who have experienced the salvation that only comes through Jesus. And now they're going to spend eternity with God, worshiping Him, praising Him for His goodness and greatness and love. And where do these people come from? They come from every nation, every tribe, every people group, every language. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? A huge multitude of all kinds of people united in worship. So back to Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So the bottom line is it it doesn't matter which event Jesus is talking about here. Based on the overall message of Scripture, God wants people of every nation, tribe, ethnicity, and language to be present in the coming kingdom. And with that goal in mind, Jesus has given us a task. And somehow, that task will be accomplished before the end of this age. The reality is, There are still many people in this world who don't know the name of Jesus. They don't live around here. They live in other parts of the world. But here's what's exciting. The church has made a phenomenal amount of progress with this task. Uh, in, In recent years, we've seen that we're getting close. We have more than enough resources to finish the task It's very reasonable to think that this could happen in our lifetime. It could be that Jesus is not only coming soon, He's coming very soon. Now, of course, I don't know exactly how all of this will play out, but I do know that Plum Creek is serious about doing what God has called us to do. As we go through this year of the kingdom, God will continue to give us opportunities to reach unreached people One of our greatest opportunities is prayer. Uh, We have a special prayer calendar every month. You can find it in our newsletter, uh, also on our website, plumcreek.org slash prayer. And in this calendar, we set aside certain days to pray for our mission partners and pray for unreached people in the world. 
That's usually on Friday that we pray for those people. And then on Sunday, May 15th, three weeks from now, uh, we're going to send out and pray for three Plum Creek College students who are not only praying for unreached people, they're going there. These, these students uh, come from here, but they're going to Nepal this summer to serve as interns with disciple makers. And they will help church planters in Nepal. These are Nepali natives who are going out to reach unreached people in their country. Man, this is an exciting time to be the church. We know what we need to do. One, be ready for the kingdom. Two, be excited for this coming kingdom. And three, keep serving and working for Jesus until the kingdom comes. Let's pray. Father, uh, this life is short. We're only here for a little while. And while we're here, I I pray that you'll make it clear uh, what life is about that we won't waste time, that we won't run after things that pull us away from you and away from the mission that you've called us to accomplish. So Lord, I I pray for every person listening right now that they will be ready for this coming kingdom, that they'll get excited, and that we will all work, serve Jesus until the kingdom comes. We need your Holy Spirit if we're going to do these things. So we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.